I've titled the message, we're going to talk about the subject of race and racism and partiality, and I've titled the message, A Biblical Theology on Race and the Gospel. A Biblical Theology on Race and the Gospel. Would you pray with me before we jump in? Father, we, we thank you this morning for the privilege of gathering and, and worshiping together with brothers and sisters in Christ. We count it as a, not only a privilege, but, but a joy. And I just pray that, that as we tackle this subject, that you would uh, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that are ready to receive, that, that you would challenge us in areas where we need to be challenged. You'd open our eyes in areas where we are blinded, and I pray that you would you'd speak to our hearts, and I pray that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've talked about the last two weeks, the image of God being under assault or attack. Actually, the last two weeks, and maybe even this week, I wanted to, I considered calling the last, last two messages in this message, part one, two, and three, uh, of the image of God under assault, part one, two, and three. But I gave them all unique titles uh, based upon what the subject matter was. But, but we've talked about that reality, how the image of God is under assault in our world and has been since the beginning of creation. And we talked about how that's uh, lived out in the issue of abortion and how the unborn are murdered, 1.5 million just in America every single year. We talked about how, how, how after babies that, that, that do survive and are born, how, how the enemy is not just trying to, to snuff out life in the mother's womb, but, they want, but the enemy wants to confuse and to, and to assault the image of God in the area of, of gender. What is a male and what is a female? You know, it's interesting, you have a society now that you can randomly go ask them questions, in particular on college campuses, young adults, and you ask to define what is a woman or what is a man, and there's a hesitation, there's this thought of, I don't know if, if, if can I actually give the real answer and not be in trouble? Like, like that, that, that's the world in which we live today, that the image of God, that the, the, the distinctiveness that God has given males and females is, has been assaulted, is under assault, and is under attack. And people are even afraid to celebrate the uniqueness that God has made us as males and females. We talked last week about sexuality and how the image of God is under attack as concerning sexuality and marriage. That, 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 that marriage is an institution made by God and it reflects his image because God is a Trinitarian God. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, but our God is one. And we see the beautiful institution of marriage that God takes two and he makes them one. And so marriage is a beautiful reflection of the image of God. But we have seen for centuries marriage is under attack. And over the last several decades we've seen marriage, the biblical view of marriage, come under attack. And now you have so-called homosexual marriage that takes place. Men and men and women and women. And then you have all kind of deviant forms of sexual behavior and activity, whether it's people hooking up and just for sexual pleasure and, and, and living together and living in fornication or, or adultery or pornography. We talked about all these different ways where the enemy is using all these different means to assault and attack the very good creation that God has made. The very good creation that God has established for, for our good and for his glory so that his glory would be seen throughout the earth through our lives and the way in which he created us to live. And so today we want to talk about another area of, of this. And this is an area that I think is, is, is something that's it's n- nothing new to us, this issue of, of racial hatred or racism or division. You look around our world today and, and you just see division. You see separation. You see uh, uh, hatred and, and anger, uh, men against men, women against women, and, 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 and racial group against racial group. And, and you just see tension and division everywhere that we look, everywhere that we turn. We can, we can see that. We see it everywhere we go. And, and, and this is an assault on the image of God. You know, James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And throughout human history, from Cain killing Abel because he, he did not like the fact that God honored his brother's sacrifice and didn't honor his, 
hatred and anger from the first murder all the way down through human history. We see men hating men and women hating women and, and, and different people groups hating other people groups and, and people being discriminated against because of the, their, their ethnicity, the color of their skin, their socioeconomic class. The list goes on and on for, for reasons why the image of God is under assault. And the heart of it is, as scripture shows us in the book of James, is that it is an inward problem. It's an inward problem, hate and racism and and anger towards fellow image bearers is birthed in the heart. It's it's, it's a heart problem. And this is what scripture shows us. And so what we want to look at this morning really have just a few questions that we want to look at. One would, would be this, is where did racism come from? Where did it come from? How, how, and then another question to tackle this morning is, how many races do we have? How many races do we have? In what other ways do we show disdain other than racism? And how many, in what other ways do we show disdain towards fellow image bearers? And then finally, we want to kind of look at the answer. What is the biblical answer to these things? So to begin to answer this first question, how many races do we have and where did racism come from? Let's look at Acts 17, starting in verse 24. Acts 17, 24 through 26. In a little context, Paul is in Athens and he is speaking to the Athenians and he's speaking to these Greeks and he's trying to explain to them that, 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 that they're not the result of an accident, they're the result of, of the God of creation. He's pointing them to the God of creation. And he begins and he tells them this. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made, this God of creation, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. So the first thing in answering the question, how many races do we have? Where does racism come from? The first thing we need, to, we need to understand is this, is one, that God made every nation from one man. God made every nation from one man. And he made from one man every nation of mankind. From one man came every other man. From one man, from one man and woman, Adam and Eve, came every other man and woman. This is a biblical reality. What does it say in Genesis 1, 26? Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. All people are made in the image and after the likeness of God. And God made the first man, Adam. The first woman came from man, came out of Adam. And God made them and made them in his image. Genesis 2, 27, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And some of you, if you know your Bibles, you're thinking, well, Pastor Ben, I understand that everyone comes from Adam and Eve, but, but wasn't there a flood and everything started over? You're absolutely right. God judged the wickedness of humanity had gotten so great in the world that God judged humanity and there was only Noah and his family that was left. And so after the flood, God gives the command, Genesis 9, to Noah and you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these people, from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. From these people, from, from these, the people of the, of the whole earth were dispersed. And so it comes from Adam and Eve. And then, and then it comes down into Noah and his family, and, and, but, but, but ultimately it's from one man. Do we have every person that has ever lived? This is the biblical worldview. There is really only one race. There's only one race. It's the human race. We don't have multiple races of people. We have one race. We have many ethnicities, but only one race. It's the human race. We come from one blood, one race, one blood, the human race, human blood. And so many of you say, well, what about all the differences? Where did those come from? What about the the lighter skinned people and the darker skinned people? And what about all the different people dispersed around all the different parts of the world and the different cultures and ethnicities? Where did, where did this come from? Well, well, the Bible gives us the answer. If you, if you go down further after the flood, 
after man begins to, 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 to increase and, and, and people are born and, 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 and hundreds and hundreds and years have passed by, man thinks that they're, that they're, they're too smart for their britches and they think that they can be more powerful than God. And they're going to build a tower to get up to God and they're going to be greater than God and they're going to get all the way up to the heavens and, and God sees the pride of man and he judges them because they thought they could elevate themselves even up to God and above him. And you see the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all of the earth and left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all of the earth. And so what you have is, is you have Adam and Eve, you have one man and one woman, you have procreation and then you have people living and dying and you have wickedness increasing and growing and you have God judging the whole world and you have Noah and his family being preserved and then procreation begins again and then you have rebellion and, and pride and rebellion against God and God judges but God in his judgment he has mercy in his judgment he gives mercy, he confuses languages and so what you have is you have a dispersion of people and so from a a very lay perspective, I, I am not a biologist here, but from a very lay perspective, what you have at Babel is a splitting of the gene pool. Not your Levi's, but the gene pool. It's a splitting of the gene pool. Different combinations of genes in different groups resulted in a varying of shades of skin color and, and facial features and, 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 and different sizes and shapes, and you have a combination of that. One blood, one race, one human race, a confusing of the languages and a separating and a dispersing and people coming together over hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years and, and different genes from one group with darker skinned people coming together with lighter skinned people creating different shades and, and different types of colors and shapes. You know, the truth is, is that we are all actually brown. We're all actually brown. There really are no white people or black people. There are brown people. Some of you are more white than others. That I would put myself in that category. I am ultra white. I don't have a, a lot of dark skin color. Um, and some of you are darker than others, right? Darker brown than others. What is it that causes that? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a substance called, called, called I'm going to stutter on the word, melanin. Melanin is a substance in your body, listen, that produces hair, eye, and skin pigmentation. So melanin, if you, the more melanin you produce, the darker your eyes, the darker your hair, the darker your skin. Some of you have enough melanin, a lot of melanin in your, in your body that when you go out, um, you tan very, very easy. Some of you, like me, don't have a lot of melanin, and when you go out, you burn very easy, right? And so we're all just different shades of brown. We come from one man, one woman, one race, one one, one bloodline. We have different levels of melanin in our skin, in our bodies that make us a little bit darker, or a little bit lighter, but we are, we're all one. We are all one. We have one source, one ancestry. This is the biblical worldview. And I'm going to get to the second point as to, to where these differences come from and why we think there are multiple races, but, but, but and, and how this has bred in racism and hatred against people of darker skin color. But, but we need to establish on the front end that we are one race, one blood. We come from one source. And so here's a question. How can we know that we all descend from one, from one man? How can, how can we know that we're all the same? How can we know that? Well, one way we can know that is that we can reproduce with each other. You could have somebody that has super light skin and somebody that has super dark skin can come together and they can reproduce together because they are human. Because they're human. We, are, we all come from the same source. And it's the idea, biblically, it's the idea of things being produced after their own kind, according to their own kind. Look at Scripture, Genesis 1.12. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds. The vegetables, the plants, yield seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. These are animals according to their, to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so plant life. 
plant kind, animal kind, and then look at Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Produce after your own kind. So what we have in creation is we have plant kind, animal kind, and humankind. The fact that our skin looks darker or lighter has to do with the amount of melanin that's in our body. It has nothing to do with being more human or less human. We're all human, and we can reproduce with one another. Actually, the truth is, is that the blood of a darker brown-skinned person can be given to the blood of an ultra-white person like me. An organ from a, from a darker-skinned person can be given to me if I need an organ from their body to survive. Because we are human, one blood, one race, made in the image of God. We're one race, homo sapiens, the human race. We have multiple ethnicities, which makes us beautiful and diverse. Different cultures and backgrounds, right? But one blood, one race, multiple differences because of the varying gene pool combinations, but one race and one blood. So this is the first question. How did we get all the different races? Again, this is a a, a low-level view of this. There's many other books you can read about this. And one book that I I, I, I use as a resource is from Dr. Ken Ham, One Race, One Blood. Uh, I, I commend that to you, One Race, One Blood by Dr. Ken Ham. Does an excellent job, him and others that he quotes within his book, of really showing how we, we, all of our roots come back to one, one race, one blood, Adam and Eve. This is the biblical view. So what happens when you disconnect your, your, your view and your understanding of origins from this biblical worldview? What happens when that happens, when you disconnect from the biblical view? Well, well this is what happens. Our second thought is, is that the sin of racism is founded upon the rejection of God's very good design. This is where hatred amongst each other is birthed. When we disconnect ourselves from the view that I am your brother and you are my brother and you are my sister and I am your brother and we come from Adam and Eve, one race, one blood, the human race. When we disconnect ourselves from that view and the evil in our heart takes root, this is where hatred comes from because of our differences, because of how we look, because of where we come from, and in particular the sin of racism is founded upon this rejection of the biblical worldview. Now, racism is nothing new. American history is not the beginning of racism. Racism and slavery has been a part of human history for many, many, many years, many, many centuries. The slave trade in Africa and Europe and America has its roots from as early as the 16th century. And so, 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 so people, some people in particular, when we're talking about racism against darker skinned people, some people with lighter skin throughout human history have sought to oppress those with darker skin because they have viewed them as less developed and less deserving of respect and care. And so this is where slavery, we see this history of slavery, this dark history apart, that it's a part of our world. But in particular, when you fast forward to 1859, uh, Charles Darwin wrote a book called the or- On the Origin of Species. And he opened the door, Charles Darwin did, in particular in modern history and in, 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 in our country, he opened the door for the justification of the treatment of those who were not as evolved as some. So I want you to track with me. I gave you an overview of the biblical view of where we come from. Adam and Eve, one race, one blood, the human blood. Different shades of skin. Right, different shades of skin, different types of genes coming together and procreating, creating all kinds of different looks, different eye shapes and different nose shapes and different skin color, right? This is the biblical view of how we got to where we are. Darwin introduced a completely anti-biblical view, right? He said, this is the result, all that we see, this distinctiveness and this, this beauty of creation and all these these, these beautiful distinctions in humanity, it all came from an accident, from the, from the process of random selection, the survival of the fittest. And Charles Darwin's theory of the origin of species launched a fundamental shift in how people were taught and understood the origin of human beings, as well, of the, as, well as the origins of the variations of gene pool expression. Darwin sought, listen, to explain the diversities and complexities of our human existence through the lens of natural selection. And what's interesting 
in his book, The Origin of Species. Have you ever, have you ever seen the subtitle of his book? Have you ever paid attention to it? Listen to the subtitle of his famous book. His subtitle was, The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. You see what evolution, when you disconnect yourself from the biblical view of, of where humanity comes from, then you get what you're left with is Darwin's view that there are some races that are favored, more favored than others. Darwin's belief was that some races had evolved further than others and were therefore superior or favored. And these superior races were those of lighter skin. And you know, it's interesting, you can see that in the very graph, the, the graph that, you know, the, the picture graph of Darwin's idea of evolution. You have the, the ape, the monkey, and it evolves and it gets a little bit more upright and the skin goes from darker to a little less darker to a little less darker to a little less darker to light skin and the light-skinned light man is upright. It's not hunched over. Do you see that? You see that? The hate that is built even into the picture graph that you saw, if you went in a public school, you saw that, and maybe, maybe you've seen it in, in other places, built into it. The basic idea of evolution in humans is that some people are of greater value than others based upon their development in the evolutionary spectrum. And so how has this idea been used throughout history to oppress people? We've seen it, it's in our history books. In countries around the world and in North America, people with dark skin were treated as lesser humans because they had more melanin in their body, nothing that they could control. They were treated as lesser than human. When you disconnect from the biblical view, this is what you have, right? You disconnect from the biblical view and you couple that with the, the natural tendency towards sin and hate that's in the heart of man, this is what you get. And people with dark skin were treated as lesser humans because they had more melanin than their oppressors. And I will say this, slavery in America, slavery around the world, but in particular in our context, slavery in America was a dark time of our history. Uh, Dr. Ken Ham from the, the book I mentioned to you, he says this, in the mid-19th century, various distortions of the Bible and science, listen, various distortions of the Bible and science were used to try to justify slavery. Some denied the biblical truth that all are descended from Adam and Eve. Others distorted what the Bible says to argue falsely that dark skin color was a curse upon Noah's son, Ham. Have you heard that, that idea that dark skinned people, it's the curse of Ham? That's, that's, that's a lie, that's false, that's hatred. And slavery was abolished, I think, in 1863, just a few years after Darwin's book, but in our country, in, into the early, 19, uh, in early 1900s, Jim Crow segregation laws maintained the spirit of slavery that kept darker skin image bearers of lesser value than lighter skin image bearers. So slavery was done away with in the history of our country, but then Jim Crow segregation laws, white people who had, didn't have the right view of the Bible and, and origins and creation, begin to create laws to keep darker-skinned people separated and segregated from white people. But that was the spirit of slavery. And then that you also know throughout history, uh, you see Hitler, you know, Hitler used evolutionary thought to justify his belief in racial purity or a superior Aryan race. This is what happens ultimately when you disconnect yourself from the biblical view of origins and where we all come from. We come from one man and one woman. We are one race and one blood. And there is no person, whether, whatever skin color they have, whatever heritage they come from, background that they come from, that is lesser or of greater value than any other person. And, and ultimately where this all comes from is sin and rebellion against God. Sin and rebellion against God caused a separation of the languages at Babel in Genesis 11. Sin and rebellion against God further entrenches that separation through racism. And today, there are still people who deny the obvious biblical reality of our common ancestry and want to create a, a subclass of humans based upon ethnicity or skin color. I just want to say this very clearly. Racial purity thinking is not biblical. Racial 
purity thinking is not biblical because we all come from the same race, the same blood. You guys follow that? What is racial purity thinking? Racial purity thinking is, is that we should not intermarry. We should not intermarry of races. We shouldn't even maybe even live together. We should be separated. That is not biblical. And sometimes people will use the Old Testament and God's people, Israel, as a way to justify it and say it's biblical because God told Israel not to intermarry with pagan nations. But he told them not to intermarry with pagan nations because of the idolatry that they would adopt after intermarrying with pagan nations. The New Testament principle for that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, which says that you should not be unequally yoked with non-believers. Had nothing to do with the color of skin. We either have a little less melanin or more melanin, but we're all human coming from the same origin. You track with me? Racial purity thinking is not biblical. And white supremacy is evil in all of its forms. In all of its forms. And racism, wherever it is found, is evil. It is a rejection of God's very good design of all people being created in the image of God. So, how else? How else do we reject God's very good design in our relationships with one another? We see racism. We see this idea of, 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 of multiple races. And so you have this race that is a superior race or a favored race. And you have those that are of lighter skin that, that, that are more evolved. And so they, they're deserving of more respect and more honor. And so we see this history that we have lived in, in world history, but in American history. And I just want to say, when you sow, what you see today in our country, the racial division, is because of the seed of sin that were sown in this country for all of those years against African-American brothers and sisters. We are reaping the whirlwind of that sin. That is why we have the division we have today. It's why it's there. You couple that with, it's the harvest, but you couple that with the ingrained sinfulness we have as humans. It's why we are experiencing what we're experiencing in our country. I'm going to get to the answer in a little bit, so hang tight. I believe there is an answer. But how else do we reject God's very good design? Here's the third thing to look at this morning. The sin of partiality is founded upon the belief that some people are more valuable than others. So racism and partiality. Partiality. Look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 and verses 8 through 9. James says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a, in a good place, well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Wow. So what does partiality mean? It's clear that it's a sin. What does partiality mean? It's to be partial. It's to show favoritism. Showing favoritism for any reason. So we see the issue of racism, but, but I think also not only do we not only do we treat people differently because of the color of their skin and we show partiality against them, but, but we will show partiality for other reasons as well. And partiality is showing favor for any reason. Favoritism is a sin. Partiality is a sin. And so what are some common reasons for partiality amongst each other? Here's, here's some common reasons. This, this person can help my cause. So, so, so you sit here. Sit in the favored seat. This person can help my cause. This person can meet my needs. This person can connect me with people of power. So, so, so you, you come into my house for dinner. You, I want to hang around you. I want your phone number. I want to be in a relationship with you, right? This person has power. So you want to be here? We want to be around people with power. This person looks better than other people. You ever been around people that you think, well, they just look better. They dress better. They're more attractive than other 
people. And so we show partiality and favoritism. We show favoritism towards those people. This person's fun to be around. Should we show favoritism towards people like that? What about this? These reasons why we show partiality against people. This person cannot benefit me. So you sit over there. This person cannot benefit me. This person is a, is a burden. This person, this person can't help me financially. This person takes up my time. This person gets on my nerves. Right? Do you, do you, do you see what we do? Partiality. And I love the account that Jesus tells a legal expert of the law of God. I love this, to deal with this issue of partiality and favoritism. The scribe comes to Jesus and says he's a lawyer. And the, the, the scribes of Jesus' days, of Jesus day, they were legal experts of, according to the law of God. And he asked Jesus a question. He says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, well, let's talk about the law. You're an expert. What does the law say about the question? You want to know how to inherit eternal life? What does the law say, lawyer? And the lawyer says, Luke 10, 27 through 28, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this, and you will, and you will live. Jesus responds, ding, 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 you're correct. You're a smart man. Now go and do this, and you'll live. The lawyer says, oh, 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 wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I got it right. I got the formula. I got to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I got to love my neighbor. That's it. That's, that's what I got to do. But, 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 but wait, I have one more question to ask. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I got to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And I got to love my neighbor as much as I love myself. Okay, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Important question here. Who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor that I have to love? And if I, if I love this neighbor, I get to get to heaven. Who's my neighbor? If this is a formula, then I want to know who my neighbor is. And why was he emphasizing? Why did this scribe, this lawyer of the law, want to know who his neighbor was? Because he was a righteous Jew. He understood the law of God. He was an expert in the law of God. And it was believed, it was a tradition of the scribes and Pharisees that it was legal for them to hate those who were unrighteous and to be neighborly to those who were righteous. This was the common belief of the day and that they were justified in hating those that were not like them, that were unrighteous. And loving their neighbor was loving those who were righteous. So he says, okay, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm accountable to to be neighborly to the right person. So Jesus says, I got a story for you. You know the story, the story of the good, the good what? Samaritan. So here's the story in the short, a man gets robbed, stripped naked, left for dead on the side of the road. A man gets left dead. You would assume he's a Jew, but his nationality, his ethnicity is not brought up. A priest walks by, looks at him, doesn't really say in the text anything about his motives. Just he looks by and passes by, goes on, doesn't help the man, a priest. Then a Levite walks by and leaves the man for dead. And then what happens? A Samaritan walks by, binds up his wounds, takes him to a room, pays his room and board. And Jesus ends the story by asking the man another question. Look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Well, duh, right? And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Wow. Jesus, how to get to heaven. Love God with all you got and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And you know what Jesus does? It's so amazing. He says to this Jew, he says to this scribe, this lawyer of the law, this righteous man who would have ultimate disdain for Samaritans because in their mind they were mixed breeds. They were unrighteous Jews. He looks at this man. He says, you want to know what it looks like to be a neighbor? 
Be like the Samaritan. Be like the Samaritan. Do you know how crazy that would have been for that righteous scribe, that holy man, who had disdain and hatred for the Samaritans, to have Jesus look at him and say, be like the Samaritan. That's what it looks like to be a neighbor. Be like the one that you think is unrighteous. Be like the one that you think is lesser than because of who they are and how they look and their heritage. Jesus elevates the Samaritan. He says, don't be like the priest, don't be like the Levite, but he elevates the Samaritan. This person, the person that the lawyer would not have wanted to be a neighbor to, he says, be like him. The man you hate and want to make sure you don't have to be neighborly to, be a neighbor like him. You guys see that? It's beautiful. Warren Wearsby says this. I love what he says about this section. He says, see how Jesus, how wisely Jesus turns the tables on the lawyer Trying to evade responsibility, the man asked, who is my neighbor? But Jesus asked, which of these three men was neighbor to the victim? The big question is, to whom can I be a neighbor? And this has nothing to do with geography, citizenship, or race. Wherever people need us, there there we can be neighbors, and like Jesus Christ, we can show mercy. Amen? Amen. The sin of partiality is founded upon the idea that some people are of more value than others. And the sin of racism is founded upon a disconnection from our biblical view of origins, that we are one race, one blood. So, lastly, as we conclude here this morning, what is the biblical answer to the sin of partiality and racism? We've seen the sin of partiality and racism. We've seen where we come from. We're one race, one blood. What is the biblical answer to the sin of partiality and racism? Look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to what divides us. Whether we are divided because we don't like each other. Some of you may not even like me right now because of what I'm saying. The gospel is the answer to what divides us. Some of you may have struggles with those that look different than you, act different than you, different backgrounds, and they live different places. They have different skin colors, and you may have struggled with that. The gospel is the answer to what divides us. It's the answer to racism. It's the answer to partiality. The gospel tells me, listen, the gospel tells me and us that my greatest problem is not that someone would prefer someone else over me. Or the gospel tells us that my greatest problem is not that someone would discriminate against me because of the color of my skin. The gospel tells all people, no matter their background or ethnicity, that they're all guilty before God. That's what the gospel tells us. They were all equally guilty before God. Romans chapter three, what then? Are Jews any better off? Look at the screens. Are are Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, both Jews and Samaritans, both, both scribes and Pharisees and Samaritans, right? Both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. For as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. None seeks after God. No one understands. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Whether you're light brown or you're dark brown, whether you're from Africa or Asia, we have all sinned. This is what the gospel tells us. It lays to waste the the division that separates us and where we actually have unity is around the fact that we all need a savior. Apart from Christ, everyone is guilty before God. Listen, God makes no distinctions Being a certain skin color doesn't make you righteous. Having a certain amount of money doesn't make you righteous. Being good doesn't make you righteous. Listen, all of humanity is equally valuable to their creator and all are equally in need of a savior. 
All of humanity is equally valuable, but all are equally guilty and in need of a savior. Notice what verse 14 says in Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace. He who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace. Christ is the only way for man to have peace with God and for man to have peace with one another. The gospel is the only way that that happens. Christ is the only way for men to have peace with other men. You know how I know that? I I pray that one day if you've never traveled to a foreign country that you travel to a foreign country. You travel to a country outside of your realm and people you hang out with. You'd go to, go to Europe, go to Africa, go to, go to Albania, go to Honduras, go to Mexico. And as a Christian, travel and go. And you can meet somebody there for the first time. The first time. White, white, white-skinned guy like Ben Bufkin. All the way in Mexico or Honduras, wherever I can go. All the way to Africa, into the jungles with the dark-skinned people. Darker skinned people. And I find a Christian there, I have instant connection and love. I don't have to know anything about their history, where they come from, their background. But immediately there is a love that is there for my brother and my sister, no matter where I come from, no matter what my skin looks like. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. The gospel of Jesus Christ, yes, It tears down the walls of hostility. What man-made organizations and policies have tried for decades to accomplish, the gospel can do it in an instant. And I've experienced it personally, traveling around this country and around the world. You know, there's some of you here today, you feel closer to your brothers and sisters in Christ than you do even your own blood relatives. You feel closer to those that are Christians because you have in common with us the most important realities of this life, which is heaven and eternity and Christ our Savior. And even those of some of your blood relatives, they don't know the Lord, they're not serving the Lord, and there's this disconnect, there's there's this wall, and you leave blood relatives and you get around fellow believers and it's instant connection, it's instant love. It doesn't matter what they look like and their skin color. The wall of hostility is brought down in creation There are no distinctions that make someone of more value than others. All are made from one man and one blood and are equally made in the image of God. And in Christ, there are no distinctions that elevate our value as well. Look at what Galatians 3 says. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Every attempt, apart from the gospel, to tear down dividing walls between people is ultimately empty in its effect. Ultimately, in the end, it's empty in its effect. There are some good things that we can do to bring understanding about what I experience. What I experience may not be what you experience. And those that are of darker skin here today, what you experience in your life today would be different than what I experience. And having that conversation and acknowledging that can be good to bring understanding to our relationship. But ultimately, the thing that will tear down a dividing wall of hostility that will bring ultimate unity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every attempt apart from the gospel, is impotent in its ability to unify people. Just look at our world today. You know, there's one thought, there's one idea that comes under the umbrella of critical theory. I talked about critical gender theory. Gender theory, well, it's critical race theory is out there. Critical race theory, you know what critical race theory does? Nothing good. It divides fellow image bearers from each other. It pits one group against another. It further entrenches us. And I, I, I think I might have coined a phrase. I looked all over the internet. So I'm taking claim for something. I couldn't find it anywhere else. I, how about us do away with critical race theory and let's adopt a biblical race theology. Okay? So biblical race theology, <laughs> biblical race theology exposes the true source of division and provides the only means of reconciliation. 
Critical race theory further entrenches us into our groups and our camps because it is a man-made philosophy. Biblical race theology shows us how every person is made in God's image and every person is broken because of sin. And it shows us how every person can be transformed from the inside out through faith in Christ. And through faith in Christ, we can love as Christ has loved us. Critical race theory says that some people have inherited guilt because of the color of their skin. And critical race theory says that some are inherently innocent for that same reason. Biblical race theology tells us that all are accountable for their own sins and not their ancestors. Biblical reality shows us the gospel is enough for the reconciliation of man before God and the gospel is enough for the reconciliation of man to each other. And listen, we must not disconnect ourselves from the biblical worldview of origin. And when we do that, when we disconnect disconnect ourselves from the Bible in any area, any worldview, there's a recipe for disaster to destroy lives and marriages and families and societies. And this issue will continue on in our country. It will continue on. It's gonna, it's gonna, the division will continue on. But as far as we're concerned, how then shall we live? We, shall, we will not treat others differently because we think we're better than them because of the color of their skin and the differences of our skin color or, or, or where I was born or how much money I have or how much money they don't have. As far as us, how then shall we live? We shall see everyone through the lens of the biblical worldview that everyone is made in the image of God. And we will keep giving that answer to the world. The gospel is enough. It's enough. It's all we need. It's what we need. So, as we conclude here, what does the culmination of reconciliation between God and man look like? What does the culmination of reconciliation between God and man look like, right? So, so if you're a, a believer here today, you were saved, right? You can tell me when that happened, can't you? You were saved. You're being saved. That means you're living this life trying to become more like Christ. You're being sanctified. You're saved. You're being saved. And one day you will be saved. You'll be glorified. Salvation, sanctification, glorification. Glorification in heaven is the culmination, new body in heaven forever with our Savior. What does the culmination of reconciliation between God and man look like? Well, it looks like Revelation 7. You want to see what the future looks like? We don't want to go back to the future. I don't understand that back to the future. Future's always forward, right? Back to the future. We want to go, what is, let's go into the future, time, time travel. What's it going to look like? Revelation 7, 9 through 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, people with a little bit of melanin, a lot of melanin, people from all nations, all tribes, all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying who are these clothed in white robes? For where have they come? I said to him sir you know. And he said to me these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd." And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
where the tears come from that God's going to wipe away. I think it's the tears, it's the tears of regret, what I could have done for the glory of God while I live. It's the tears of, it's the tears of the multiplied years and decades and centuries of living under division and hatred and the impact of sin and society. The tears, every tear shall be wiped away for people from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages. No more tears because of the effects of sin and division. No more tears, but only unified praise to the God who can both reconcile man vertically to himself and who can horizontally reconcile each other. Someone to their brother. Only unified praise to the God who can reconcile man to him and man to one another. Amen? Amen. Only unified praise. Would you stand with me and let's sing in unified praise. Let me close us out in prayer and then we will sing together to the God that as believers we will all sing together no matter where we come from or what our skin looks like, we're going to worship our Savior together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this biblical theology of race and ethnicity and racism and, and the gospel and what your word shows us and tells us. And God, I pray that, that you would help all of us here today. God, that if we have developed walls in our hearts in our heart towards any other fellow image bearer. If we've developed walls in our heart towards those who are our brother and our sister, brother and sister of creation, but also brother and sister of Christ, if we've developed those walls, I pray you help us to tear those walls down. Lord, to love and to forgive, to love as you have loved us, and that we would treat no one with partiality, that we would treat no one with any form of racism. And we would treat no one better because of what they can do for us and despise others because of what they can't do for us. And I pray that our heart would reflect the heart of our Savior who came and died for all, that all might be in relationship with him. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.